0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien Verse Predator Galaxy podcast, you're listening to episode 94 and this is regular host Corporal Hicks. Now before we crack on with the actual content of this episode, I just wanted to give a quick explanation. What you're about to listen to was actually recorded back in May and it was intended to be released as our 40th anniversary episode, but unfortunately as you're going to hear in the actual episode there were some difficulties getting this one done. And ultimately when it came to being recorded, we were recording about 2 hours later than we normally would have done, which is going into mine and Eric's bedtime, so he disappears at some point during the episode to make sure he gets food before the end of the night. And when it was done I felt like we'd done a bad job, so I kind of put off listening to it and editing it and decided that I was just going to re-record it, but when it came to actually editing what we'd done to see what we needed to re-record I actually found we'd, we'd done a pretty good job, in, in my opinion anyway. So it's a good couple of months late but I've decided to release it for the 40th anniversary of the UK release of Alien, so enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Corporal Hicks aka Aaron Percival and joining me are my regular pain in the arses. Adam Zeller, a.k.a. Ridgetop. That's right. Hey, everyone. And Xenomorphin, also known as Eric Adams.
1: It is, and this is me.
0: And this is episode 90, a.k.a. the one that's been the hardest to sort in the last several years of doing this uh, show. Getting close, aren't we? Uh, what, to
2: to what? To 100. got oh, to do something Good. special for that.
0: Uh, I have no idea what we'll do for that one, but... i tell you what, the, the difficulties with faced with this have prompted me to come up with a new feature. So you, you remember a couple of episodes back when I clocked when we'd done 100 hours worth of conversation? I'm now yeah. clocking how long I spend waiting for you pair to show up.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. I would love to see that number.
0: So uh, we're already at two and a half hours, and I started yesterday. No, three hours, <laughs> sorry. And
2: I started it's going to be... Long. This has been a particularly difficult mess to get going, but we're here and we're talking. So here we are. And what are we talking about? Surprisingly, we are talking about the original Alien, which is timely given its 40th anniversary. And when you first told me about this, I was like, "Have we really never just done a podcast on Alien?" And no, we haven't.
0: Well, we we most we mostly do topical, to be honest. Over the
2: last, because
0: you know we've been doing it so frequently over the last two three years is when we really picked up and started doing it like you know properly monthly and it's been so busy that you know it's been so active actually that we've we've been kept busy just talking about what's happening at the time and you know it, that's how it's worked out with this one as well because depending on how quickly i'm able to edit it this might be out on might be out on alien day or the following monday at the at the very uh the very latest i'll try and get it done for
2: hasn't alien day already passed
0: did i say alien day yeah I meant the um, I meant the anniversary is what I meant. Oh
2: that's what I figured. The, the, it all sort of
1: squishes together after a certain time. Well
0: you know what? This is the first month that we've done weekly releases. So uh I've been very busy editing <laughs> lately. Uh, so it's, it's it's very much all merged together in my head. But yes, I intend to release this one on, on Alien's anniversary or the following Monday. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes.
1: Fingers crossed.
0: I'm mm. um, surprisingly, we've just never done never done Alien before. So, I don't want to make this just a retelling of all the behind-the-scenes documentaries and books and stuff like that. We'll, we'll naturally talk about stories from them, but I, I don't just want to recap everything, all those anecdotes and everything. I'm going to try and make this one, I suppose, a little bit more personal towards us. Not that it isn't always anyway, but you know what I mean. I just don't want to make this a, a, a podcast documentary. You know, on that note, we will start as we so often do on sort of retrospective episodes like this, talking about the first time we actually ever got to see these films. So, as we were talking about off mic, since you are the oldest of us, Xenomorph uh, Grandpa, start yes. us off. When was your first encounter? Yeah, with did you 80? see it in theaters?
1: Well, it was shortly after World War II. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um. Let, let me pick I'm, I'm sure I've, I've talked about this in some fashion or what have you thought. I think it was middle school and I'd never seen any of the films. You see it late 80s, maybe, possibly. I think it was very late 80s. And yeah, it was like a we had like a car boot sale in the actual school, and my my parents came along there, and my I went around with my father, and my father picked up this, you know, it's a book with this uh, an egg with like you know the neon on it, and I thought, oh, what's that? And he said, oh, alien. It's the book of it because I think I we were under the impression it was a book, and then it was made into a film because you always had those blurb on the novelisations. Now a major film, so you assume it's the other way around but he said, oh, it's that. And I said, well, what's it about? He said, it's about this alien creature on a spaceship. And back then, you know, Star Trek stuff, very science fiction I was all into. I went, oh, interesting. And I looked at the back of it and said, you know, this creature does these unspeakable horror things and I went oh I want to read about that so I was always very into natural history and so I had started reading this book and I went oh this is very interesting how they've gone about it and then it went into the life school and all the rest of it and I went ah this is up my alley so I had Alan Dean Foster's prose to sort of sweep me along and for a while there I had it all in my head like the, the face hugger with the cyclops eye on it before they tried the design obviously and um that's kind of how i got introduced to alien through the novelization there was i've talked about it before but i might as well say it again that um i did see okay well that's how i got into the first alien but i i then saw aliens and before that i had that strange dream where the you know the the head the decapitated head rolled over in the ocean and then the next day i saw aliens and it was the exact head of the colonists in the wall which i'm always amazed by but yeah that was a little foreshadowing dream so i was very into aliens and then i was like i need to see the original because i i know about the cocoon scene and all the rest of it I know intrigued how they did it and i had all these visuals in my mind and so i came around to my birthday and i spent good hard-earned money because i worked in an italian restaurant on a saturday job on videotape from Woolworths of alien and i got it home and i thought right i know aliens back to the front i'm gonna watch this and i watched it and i'll say i was a little bit let down not because it didn't have explosion and gunfire but because it is much more of a slower paced film and I was disappointed that the the cocoon the thing with you know Dallas and Brett as the cocoons because I was really into natural history and I knew about you know the, what it was based on with the the wasp and the tarantula I was fascinated as just how it would look and that wasn't in there and that was Ugh! so but as I've grown you know I've grown and i got H.R. Giga's book of eight actually come to think of it I might have picked that up from the library before I saw the film I have the hazy memories now so I, I can't say for so I've, I've got a feeling I, I looked at that before but yes I might have got into H.R. Giga's Book of Alien before I saw the actual film yeah that's how I got into it. I came into it through Alan Dean Foster's novelization and then I guess at some point I, I got the I saw aliens and then I mu- I must have got HR Giga's book of alien which to this day is a fascinating source of artistic inspiration to me and then I saw a film and it was just the, the pacing just uh, it-, it felt more plodding like you you know you're walking through honey in it but as I've grown up I have learned to appreciate it more but you know you have to understand I, I was just you know coming into teenage years and you you got less patience in those days so um
0: that's my tale of coming into the fandom
1: as it were yes
0: do you even remember not knowing what the alien looked like because ADF didn't describe the alien in that book the adult yeah
1: i guess because back then it wasn't really yeah i I definitely got sort of read the novelization and then i would have watched aliens after so i i yeah there must have been a point where i didn't know what it looked like but i don't think it took me long before i found pictures of it i think i saw some pictures somewhere and then i saw aliens maybe but yeah now you mention it yeah that's that's an interesting point what did i have in my mind i don't really know. I, I don't think I know. I, but I, I do remember that the, pro, the way Alan Dean Foster wrote it, it was... He just has that way with words where it just fills your imagination with stuff. So um, I can't remember. I'm going to have to go back over that now. Now that you said it, but um, I will say it, it wasn't like Ron Cobb's Star Beast. That was that was very weird when I first saw pictures of that. But yeah, I, I think I probably just imagined it as this wasp-like scorpion thing. I don't know. That is an interesting question, but yeah, I, I can't remember.
0: Okay, then, well, I think that's an interesting start to the story for you, and in general. So, um, Ridgetop then, middle-aged guy. <laughs> of us, Hope anyway. I'm not
2: there just yet. Of us. So, I was, I was a child of the 90s, and I have very early memories of Alien before I ever saw the film. My parents, they took me to a lot of, like, theme parks growing up as a kid, and I remember... One of the rides was at Disney's, what was then called MGM Studios and now called Hollywood Studios in Orlando. It's called the Great Movie Ride. And surprisingly enough, on one of the sections of the Great Movie Ride, you go through the Nostromo, you know, you goes through different like movie eras and, and famous Hollywood films. And one of them is, is alien. And you're in this big ride vehicle, you're going through the Nostromo, you know, you have the industrial looking ship everywhere The obviously the hallways of it wider than we see in the film to uh, accommodate the, the ride vehicle. You have this really dark window into space and the hanging chains and the alarms and the mist and a really, really bad Ripley animatronic <laughs> looking frightened. And the jumps out at you twice and I just remember seeing that and it was like so so I don't know scary but cool at the same time like so I guess we both have really early memories Aaron because you had the ride at the speed of fright as well so Mm -hmm. we both have early memories involving a, a theme park attraction but it wasn't just that I have other memories um one was this book in my elementary school Uh, that was called Alien Tales of Terror. And I guess it was from like a horror movie storybook series. I have no idea what this was doing in a a children's elementary school library because it actually does have some pretty bloody imagery. But I really it's hard to find. And I actually managed to find one on eBay a few years back. So I have it. It's a little beat up, but just on the outside. And, um, I really have been meaning to upload it to our YouTube channel and just do a read through of it. So I think I'm finally going to do that now. Yeah. It, it was a short you know, book. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's just about, let's see, it's just about 46 pages, but it, it goes through the entire story. So I, I really read the whole story of alien before I ever saw the film as a kid. And I thought the story sounded really interesting. And the imagery in there, just seeing the the xenomorph and the crew and the ship was just so, I don't know, there was something so mysterious about it that I, I knew I had to see the film eventually. Now, granted, I was still a young kid. My parents didn't want me watching R-rated movies at the time. But I saw um, also the Aliens Kenner toys. At this toy store by me called KB Toys, which was in my mall, and they had they had some exclusives, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They had some great exclusives and for aliens specifically. I mean, I don't know. I only ever saw the aliens ones there. Well, yeah, I mean aliens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they made the original Alien toys at all, but yeah there were some, I think my first one was the flying queen alien. And again, there was just something so different. Like I, I had liked sci-fi as long as I could remember and monster stuff for as long as I can remember, but there was something so different and unique about the aliens. And even though the Kenner ones especially went pretty wild and they had different animals and stuff like they all had that alien look, that biomechanical look. And there was just something so intriguing about that for me, even at such a young age. I also went to these sometimes when I would go on like family vacations and stuff. They have these themed restaurants here. They have one in, in UK as well called Planet Hollywood.
0: Yes. Yes, they do. I mean, didn't Carrie Hen tell us a story about going to the London based one?
2: I think so. Yes.
0: Yeah. I've never personally been to, but they are, they are about.
2: Yeah. So they, they just have different movie props and stuff. And usually they'll have like an image from the movie next to the prop. And I have vague memories of seeing props as well from, um, aliens. Like they would have like pulse rifle or the Marine armor. And there would be some imagery of like the face hugger tube. And I'm like, they made more than one of these. Like, so eventually like I figured it out, even though I was a kid, I was like, okay, there are these alien movies and these aliens look really cool. And I want to see these movies, but they're rated R. So I have to wait. Eventually in my teenage years, Early teenage years, I'm talking about. I would like ride my bike to this grocery store that was about a mile away. And back when video store rentals were a thing, there was this like I don't know, old school America, like 50s America style video rental place in in my grocery store. And and they had all the Alien films on VHS. Uh, so I I started with one and two, and I guess I would watched the second one first. I don't know why. I can't remember why I watched the second one first. And I you know fucking loved it pretty much. And then I went back and I watched the first one and I was, it's hard to like go back and like remember exactly my life then. But I just remember, wow, this movie's so different than the second one. It's, it's much different pacing. It's a lot more terrifying. So even though like, I love the excitement of the second film and I, I just love the world that that film created. I think the first film was, was more interesting for me. But yeah, not obviously not as exciting as the second one. That's not always why you're watching a movie. You know, it does get really exciting, but it's a very, very slow build to that. So when when the excitement does come, it's all the more intense for it. But yeah, I mean, those those were essentially my earliest memories with the film. A little while later, the first time I ever got to see Alien in theaters was 2003 with my dad. And we'd We'd both watched it before, obviously, but I had never had an opportunity to see it in theaters. So he and I went and I was also hoping to catch a glimpse of the uh, AVP teaser on the big screen because didn't they have some of those in 2003?
0: Yeah, you had the very first teaser trailer in front of the director's court re-release. Yeah,
2: and I remember just seeing it on the big screen was just so cool. You were really immersed like I had only ever watched it on, on my home screens until then. I was I was intrigued by the new scenes as well although you know now that I'm a bit older I, I still prefer the because I don't think those scenes are necessary and it shows. I mean they're interesting it's 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 interesting to see Ripley go down into that other chamber and find what happened to the crew. but with the first film I almost think it's better for her to just not know what happened to them and that makes it a bit more eerie. but regardless I mean I still like both cuts.
0: Stop Stop digging into the Director's Cut episode. I've warned you about <laughs> Sorry. this in the past.
2: I, I'm, I'm moving past <laughs> it right now. It was just cool to see that. And the second time I ever saw Alien in theaters was much more recently. It was um, 2017 for the second Alien Day, which was leading up to Covenant. And rather than me being excited for AVP teaser trailer, I was excited for the Covenant footage that was at the end of it again, that in theaters, both the film and seeing that footage was just so cool. And it kind of just took me back to that excitement that I had when, when I was young. So I don't know, there's just something really powerful about Alien, even if you know nothing about it. If you're into sci-fi, if you're into visions of the future and and humanity traveling beyond the stars, if, if you just have a small interest in that, it's almost impossible to not see some of the themes of this franchise and for it to catch your attention. So yeah, that's, that's kind of just my history with it, I guess, at least from what I can recall i will have to um
1: just interject just before we go on to the next thing i do remember now when i first saw the image of the alien going back to that question you asked me earlier when we picked up this secondhand novelization of alien there was a book with it and it wasn't the behind the scenes it was the original sort of illustrated story of alien so it had all these pictures throughout the film no it was not the comic it was yeah yeah the photo novel and it didn't i i remember looking through it because it was all these like dark corridors and and i think there are very few shots of the actual alien in there but there are you know there are some i think right at the end i think there's some from the escape shuttle sequence and stuff like i think there's the close-up of the jaws with when brett gets killed but yeah so i have these little because they didn't show the full size a the full body shots but they showed little snippets of what the alien looked like and before i think i'd seen aliens even there is a for people in america or anywhere else there's a science fiction comedy show over here called red dwarf and on that they had a creature that could sort of like change shape but its true form was clearly inspired by the alien because it had more than one set of jaws within jaws so when i came to you know eventually immerse myself in the fandom my imagination was partial shots from this photo novel mixed with this this thing that had been inspired by the alien's design from red dwarf so i honestly didn't have a clue what to expect so i've got a weird come to You know, thinking back on my formative years then, I must have had a really odd... I knew it didn't look like that, but like in my mind, it looked like a combination of those two things. So,
2: yeah, that is what I had in mind before I'd come to see the films. (laughs) It was funny you should mention the movie Storybook, because... I can't remember like I think four or five years ago I bought that thinking it was the book I saw when I was a kid in elementary school and I flipped through it and I was like, no, this this isn't the same thing. I mean, my memories are vague, but this isn't the same thing. I mean that that was cool as well. But eventually I tracked down the alien tales of terror one. Which is funny, like I searched alien movie storybook, alien kids book, like so long and I, I couldn't I couldn't find it until I just saw it on ebay and i snagged it up as soon as i saw it
0: well i've just had a flick through the photo novel now actually and uh yeah it's pretty much all just like tight shots on the alien's mouth and aliens yeah skull i mean that you get to see the jazz hand shots which is always one of my favorites the biggest you know full body stuff's towards the end when it's getting uh, shoved out the airlock so yeah they did a good yeah job keeping yeah quite under wraps for that book
1: pretty much yeah i mean i mean for a you know a tr- this is before the internet this is all before that So me... Uh, I think I was coming into Tina I forget how old I was then but you know as a young mind and you just see this kind of imagery you know you don't really key on the sexual stuff but it it just struck you because up to then it was like let me see You, you know Star Trek was always pretty much just a different human with different ears or something and it was the most diverse thing you saw back then was like the cantina scene in Star Wars and then seeing this it was so radically different of the design to anything i'd seen in science fiction stuff up to then so yes no wonder my mind was like wow this is fascinating but it's all these little tight so yeah it's uh, that was my introduction i we didn't get that we just got the novelization but i i just had my memories to go on from this photo novel thing
0: well for me it was actually my third alien film which I'm pretty sure means I lied in that my Alien 40th story, because I think I said that was my second then.
2: Yeah, I could have sworn you'd always said it was your second.
0: Yeah, I, I I lied. Alien 3 was my second, because I remember finishing Aliens completely and going to my dad, can we watch the next one? And him going, are you sure it's not very good? I went, yeah, and, what? and we watched Alien 3, and I've always loved Alien 3 since then.
1: Wait, how old were you? Because I thought you said you had that thing where you, you were really little and you slept on your stomach.
0: So, Like Ridgetop mentioned, uh, my very first experience of Aliens as a whole was a ride called Aliens Ride at the Speed of Fright. It was the day before my fifth birthday, and we watched the first half of Aliens when I got home. I didn't actually watch Aliens all the way through until I was ten, and then after we finished Aliens, I also watched Alien 3. I didn't get to see Alien for years, because I very much remember having to check the TV Times. Uh, every, every week, I'm just checking TV Times, I'm checking the movie channels, trying to see when, yeah, when there's a show in Alien. Because yeah. for ages, my only copies of the Alien films were stuff i taped off the telly. I remember taping the special edition of Aliens off Sky 1, but I eventually found Alien on Sky I channels. did that, yeah. I, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember it taking me a goddamn long while to find it, and Taping it at like fucking one one a.m. in the morning or something, setting the timer to go on the on the video player and watching it. And the one distinct memory I always have of that first viewing is trying to figure out who the synthetic was because I always remembered the lines from <laughs> Alien where they were, yeah. you know, Kirk was explaining yeah. that there was a. So I remember that being my biggest sort of question going through it. I can't remember if I ever cottoned onto it, but yeah, that that was my biggest thing. And you know what ever since I've still never been able to pick a favorite so much stuff I love in all the first even three.
2: even with Alien 3 huh I I love Alien 3 I I love Alien 3 too I know and it's flawed. my my affection for it has only grown through the years but I don't know if you can really put it on the same level as one and 2 <laughs> personally not
0: on a technical level certainly but on a pure just enjoyment level as much as you can enjoy the depressiveness that is Alien Three, I can't pick a favourite out of any of them. Although I, I must add the odd one out. I, I know you hate <laughs> Alien Three. I know you hate it.
1: No, I don't hate it. It just, like by comparison, it feels like a very different animal it's um i i have a like what you call a love hate relationship I, I, there are things like if i don't see it for ages i, I think back to you those dramatic moments and I, I feel appalled to go and watch it again but every time i watch it again i'm i'm just made very aware of the flaws so for me it's not a, i don't hate it it's it's just like to me the first two are on just a different level to all the other ones that came after that's all
2: and um today is actually the 27th anniversary of alien 3 so justifies us talking about it just a little bit in here not not too much not too much just a little bit but once the 30th anniversary rolls around i i hope alien 3 gets uh, gets some love no i mean don't don't read what i said the wrong way like i love alien 3 when i i can't deny when i first saw it after seeing alien and aliens i was pretty disappointed and i didn't like it that much i liked elements about it I, the the runner alien I liked how it had its own unique style with the more sepia tones and the facility on the planet looked totally different than the Hadley's Hope Colony or the Nostromo. Alien 3 did a lot of things well, but I just felt like Alien and Aliens felt like such a buildup and and we had become attached to these characters and Ripley had already lost so much with, with her daughter and now she had found, you know, essentially a new girl to take care of as if she were her daughter. And then bam, they're dead. And it's like, I can't Ripley get a fucking break, you know, but I guess that's kind of the point of it as well. Like she even says as much in the film, like you've been in my life so long, I don't remember anything else. So I love Alien 3 and every time I watch it, I come around to it more. So I, I have a lot of respect for that film, but I just think for what Alien and Aliens were and how much they changed the sci-fi landscape of things. Alien Three just wasn't quite there for for probably a multitude of reasons. Given the you know all the problems that happened with the development of that that film, like how do you follow Aliens? And I'm sure that that was what was what spurred a lot of those issues at at the studio. But still, it's a great film. So I don't mean to take that away yeah, at all.
0: But let's let's not go into Alien Three. No, but I think I'm the only one here who
1: was you know. An alien fan around the time Alien 3 was released, am I? Cause neither of you were into the alien films at that time.
2: Um, not the movies, but I, like I said, I was into the franchise at what? It was 92 or 93?
0: 92. It was I 93.
2: Think ni- ni- 91 92. or
0: 92.
1: No, it, was, it was 92. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the one here who has m- memories of like <laughs> how the, the press from that run people reacted at the time. Oh, that's weird. Made <laughs> again.
0: Anyway. For the love of God.
2: (laughs) Back to Alien. alien.
0: (laughs) I guess I I really want to know, when you think of Alien, what is that one standout sequence that you think of when you think of that film?
2: I mean, for me, it's hard to pick one because there's so many strong sequences in that film. I can narrow it down. Uh, Obviously, the, the exploration of the jockey ship you know, that's a, that's a massive one. Just them going inside and and seeing all these crazy designs that were so as the title would be appropriate for alien to them, obviously the chest bursting sequence. And I would just say Ripley surviving in the ship after she's lost the rest of her crew. And those little moments where it cuts into the first person sequence for her, and you're going down those dark hallways and the alarms are blaring and the steam's going everywhere. And it's just so freaking intense. Yeah. Those, those are probably the three I would say stand out for me the most. I mean, obviously, Honestly, that movie is just a masterpiece in its entirety. But as far as like the sequences that really hold my attention, it's probably those.
0: I absolutely love the derelict sequence. Like, if I was to pick a favorite scene out of the entire series outside of the Alien 3 funeral, I think it would probably be the derelict exploration. And that was one of the things that just it made me so interested in what was out there as well as the alien. You know, that's the reason I picked up the comics. That's the reason I hunted down destroying angels. And that's a huge part of why I'm sat here at nearly 10 o'clock at night chatting to you pair over the internet about these films. It's just that mystery and, and that, potential that those um those scenes showed for the, for the rest of this universe that it was in and i'll always be kind of sad that we never got to see the egg silo on film anyway on screen because i know the comics kind of aped on on the boob shaped mound as um, as like a hive as as the natural built hives out in the in the open in the comics and that's something i really like actually you kind of nearly get it in Prometheus, but that's more the Harkonnen castle rather than the egg egg silo. And even then, that's not really the Harkonnen castle because it's very rocky. Probably my biggest issue with Prometheus is everything's rocky. But yeah, I would, I would have loved to have seen that silo, and I, I hope they, I hope they go back to it again at some point in in a future Alien film. I really do. Yeah,
1: i'd I'd have to I'd have to when I think of Alien, it, not the exploration of the derelict in general, but my mind always goes to that one shot where Kane is crawling up that sort of you know that turntable, and you just have that pull back, and you just have those yeah. sort of, that weird music. It- It's sort of like crack, crack, and then go boom, boom, boom. There's something about it. It just gives me these static chills every single time I see it. It was unlike, again, it was, I remember at the time, and this sort of must have been in the 80s, I remember just thinking, this is unlike anything I've seen because it, as I said, I'd read the Giga's book of Alien I'd seen those beautiful paintings he did I'd seen the production shots which I loved looking at but this is an example of where Ridley Scott did it. it just he did it perfectly in terms of this moving image just that pull back and you just appreciate it's not just a small room it's a, they really do look like little action i know it's in reality it's his children doing it but they you just got this massive appreciation of scale and then it pulls back and you realize it's not even just that it's the ceiling and the walls it's huge and it's one of those few moments where it's it's you know i came to realize later on is one of those few moments where it's very lovecraftian you get that sense of scale that when this thing this place was alive when it had activity it would have dwarfed humanity in every possible regard and there's there are very few instances on film in science fiction where you get that it's not like something a, a human can walk down a corridor you you get it that these are you know, the gods, as it were. It, but it's the creepy gods. The, the This isn't, you know, chariots of the gods from up above. This is something seriously wrong with this whole thing, which is exactly what, you know, Giga does. It's all flesh and bones. When um they did Babylon five and they did the biomechanical volon ships in that, they used Giga as a reference, but they said we want to do it opposite to Giga. We want to make this look like a biomechanical ship, but he did these bones and thing, and we want to make it like the beauty of life and this is absolutely the inverse of it it's one of those things where you absolutely identify with Lambert and lab you know veronica cartwright she was told she felt lambert's falling apart all the time but she was told no lambert she is speaking for the audience and you totally get that in that scene she doesn't really say anything but all her mannerisms you're just identifying where and in thinking don't go down that hole what the fuck leave it for someone else that one scene it's just that pull back and then once they go down that hole you've already got chills just from watching that and of course you have that huge pull out when kane is descending as well so yeah weirdly it's you know it's titled alien it's all about you know the alien and yet the thing that's memorable is something that's dead and it had activity long ago and it's it there's a there's a bit of dialogue from the film event horizon where Lawrence fishburne he says you know it, it's a tomb and you get that from this which is ironic because the original concept it was this pyramid this ancient pyramid that was literally like a tomb and birthing chamber all in one. But even though the the visual change, you absolutely get that essence from it. And yeah, I would say that sequence is what I think of with Alien and possibly... See, I'm not going to say the chestburster sequence because... By then, I'd seen Aliens, so I'd already seen a chest burst of it. So for me, the Kane chest burst sequence doesn't have the power that, say, at the start of Aliens, and you have that. It's a fake out. It's a dream sequence. Ripley doesn't literally chest burst, but you have the, you know, the hissing cat. You have the heartbeat. I actually regard Ripley's dream chest sequence in Aliens as better choreographed than Kane's chest But I would say the other sequence that comes to mind is the when shortly before brett dies and you just have these chains and they're just dangling and you just hear this tinkle 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 and you see this this thing just come down behind brett and of course that's the first moment you get music and it's and it's this very sort of insectile music almost that comes with it and you you just see this thing with the water dripping that again at that time whenever you had a monster in science fiction it was sort of like it came around the corner it was like raw and you saw the fangs that you would like you know ray harry house and stuff so this it just dropped down and it was graceful and i think that's something this film did which was either very rare or hadn't happened up until then you have this huge predator but it's like it's ballet and it just drops down absolutely silently like a spider but there's no snarling there's no growling unlike you get in alien resurrection which i feel was one of the things that you know it it harmed that film in this it just drops down and you just have water dripping down it just silent it's like KY hey, Jelly in reality, but it just rears up and there's there, it's absolute deathly silence, and you have that cat hissing. And I would say that is the other sequence that comes to mind for me when someone says alien. It's the space jockey pullout and it's this sequence with Brett's death. But those are the two that come to mind for me.
2: Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I think Brett's death was another really memorable sequence of the film for me. And, and like you were saying with with the alien's designs and actions, they, they say as much in the making of that this was the thing we had to get right was the design. And they couldn't have got it more right. And yes, you have this terrifying space monster. But the thing that makes it so unique is like you said, is it's not just horrifying monsters. There's this weird kind of elegance to this monster that we really hadn't seen before. And as far as the space jockey sequence, yeah, that was just really a Testament to the strength of Giger's designs and how groundbreaking his work was in surrealism in the, the um, I think even the psychological aspects of Giger's work, there was a psychologist who I think was a friend of Giger and his last name was Groff or something like that. And I still want to read his book, but it's essentially just a psychological exploration of Giger's artwork. And this kind of goes to this this documentary that I saw at Sundance that I'm really glad is finally getting a, a wider release uh, later this summer called Memory, The, the Origins of Alien, which unlike Lazarica's excellent behind-the-scenes documentary, The Beast Within, this one is more about why Alien has remained as powerful as it has in an exploration of that. And it's it's really unique. And I'm, I'll am i be very curious to hear both of your thoughts about that once you two see it.
0: You know what? I, I really, really want to check that book out you know, now that that you've mentioned it, you'll have to send me a link to that stuff. Yeah. That must be insane and incredibly fascinating at the same time. You know, I've always known about Giga's artwork and I've always been able to see the sexual shapes in it and all the the melding of of the biology and and the mechanics. But to actually get, you know, an an analytical, psychological look at it, that will be incredible. I'd love to see just what
2: crops up on that. I'll send it to both of you now.
0: So... so We talked about this a little bit off air, but I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on it here was um, I recently read the I believe it was the first draft of Alien that Walter Hill and David Gala turned in for Alien, you know, when they started rewriting Dan O'Bannon's stuff. And one of the things they did was they remove the pyramid and the alien derelict. And, and it was a uh, it was a crashed human ship and it was instead of the pyramid it was a, a military a human military facility it still plays out pretty much the same but you know it's very notice noticeably said that it's it's human related tech how do you think that would have gone down because I can't imagine alien having the same impact without giga's derelict or without that egg silo that egg chamber underground
2: yeah i I agree with you. I think, I mean, that's another theme of the alien franchise, right? Is corporate exploitation and corporations that have become too powerful. If you would have had that, I think that would have become the primary theme rather than a secondary theme. And I don't think it would have worked as well. I I still, I love the original designs of the derelict, like the egg silo and the temple, but those weren't human. You're talking about something, something before then. I'd honestly... Never heard about this until you mentioned it. Yeah. So and again, I kind of told you a bit about this. It really reminds me of of Dead Space. Once you finally play through that, you'll see what I'm talking about. So that that idea can work and it worked really well in Dead Space, I think. But as far as Alien goes, I think just the mystery of the space jockey, at least back when it was a mystery, was so core to that film. And really, a lot of the whaling Utani stuff didn't even really come till later, until the second film. I mean, yes, it, you had it in the first film with the special order and all that, but I think if it would have been that, it, there just would not have been enough focus on the otherworldly about the film, both with the jockey and eventually with the creature.
1: I think it could have been interesting, like if it was like overrun, then I I think I could say, well, we. We got to see what that was like because, essentially, in Aliens, that's what we got. We we got this, you know, a human colony, and but you saw what happens when it's been overrun. They've made a nest. I think that could have been an in- interesting visual scene. What they, I guess, it would have looked like, you know, how Gigath had the the Breton Dallas eggs scene. It would have looked a lot like that, I guess. So I think that could have been interesting it wouldn't have had the iconic striking vision of the space jockey thing that to me as you guys said that really a lot of people say that's what stays with them they you know the chest burst of the face hugger blah blah all the deaths but a lot of people say after the film that's the stuff that's duck on their mind because it did open them up into something ancient something greater than human comprehension because you you're stuck with what was that thing in the chair what what happened what what where did it go you're left with all that it's a beautiful example of world building because it requires zero exposition because if you bring that to it it's going to be less than your imagination fires up yeah, and
2: for years exactly.
1: Yeah, years. That's what's. that So I think it would have still been interesting. It would have still been just as valid. The rest of the film would have played out fine, but having
2: it which was devised with a space jockey and that made it more i think exactly and and i think that's one of the core things about the first film is just that mystery of that sequence stays with you even after they've left the planet you're still thinking about like what was that back there and i think that was where the disappointment with prometheus came for a lot of people including myself was nothing that could ever be shown could live up to the mystery of that the mystery that you know it made our imaginations run wild and everybody had a different different interpretation of well what was that who were they and i do think it's also more interesting thinking about these things like a long dead kind of ancient civilization like what happened to them that's another big question so if you know they're just all still around doing whatever then it i think it lessens the mystery
0: how about you know what the what the movie was named after then the alien in this because it gets so little screen time in this, yet manages to be massively effective. Even the scene in in the vents with the jazz hands, because that scene should be awful. That should be a terrible shot, but it works so well. And you know what, that is that is that's actually one of my favourite moments. I love that sequence. I love that quick shot, jazz hands, and then the, the static screech, which I kind of wish we actually heard more of, you know?
2: Yeah,
1: it's the scream. That's what makes it effective.
2: Yeah, the first time I ever saw that, it did make me jump. (laughs) I know it's coming very, very well these days, so it doesn't anymore. But yeah, uh, I think it's, it really just goes to movies like Jaws and Jurassic Park. Like these characters were so interesting that the few moments you did see the monster were, were so good. And in the sequels, we got to see more of the alien, more so in two and even more so in three. And it's good that, that you get to see more of it over time. But I think in this first film, having it shadows was was so effective i think
1: yeah I, w- I will say i said earlier that i remember i was a little disappointed because it was plodding and didn't have the cocoon sequence like a lot of my disappointment with it was because i was looking forward to seeing and hearing things which i knew were in the novel or which i'd seen in gigas but and i was looking forward to seeing them like for instance the the dialogue in the the novelisation from Alan Dean Foster, he puts in this sequence where Ash talks about, like, he's tried to communicate with this thing, and that wasn't in there, and I was looking forward to see how that was performed by the actor. That
0: was apparently filmed.
1: Oh, it was? Okay.
0: I'm sure Veronica Cartwright talked about that in the commentary, actually, Right for, for Alien. I can't okay. remember if it's in the virtual work print, though, because I've only seen that once. yeah. So I'm going to actually have to watch that again just to see if that's one of the extras that was in that.
1: The other thing that's related to what you see, the I think it would have worked really well. And this is one of the key things I was looking for. And because I didn't see it, this is one of the reasons I got, oh. So I think if I'd have watched Alien without knowing any of that, I wouldn't have had that disappointment. But one of the things I wish they had put in it was that absolutely meticulously beautiful hieroglyphics section that Giga oh, yeah. made up where you, you don't see the alien, but you see this very chilling foreshadowing of like the life cycle. And to this day, I wish someone would use it in a new, if not a game, then a film or a comic, because it's one of those things that you look at now and you think, How could they have wasted? They should have used it somehow. It was just so beautiful, too beautiful to have wasted. I would have loved if they had put... I know it might have spoiled it a bit, but I I just think the film would have benefited from that. We can't escape the derelict. It's difficult to say because we we know for a fact that scott wanted to show like they they had a mechanical tail and it didn't work they wanted to have it transparency that didn't work we know that stan winston's team when they came to make aliens they asked for the original suit when they got the original suit they were amazed at how good it looked in the film because they said it just had random car parts and pasta just glued randomly to it and spray painted black and they said it looked awful when we had it close up they were amazed it looked as good as it we know scott wanted to have it move around a lot more it's like jaws you don't see much of the shark but that's because they had limitations so we can say well it might have worked better if they'd have done that or it could have been cooler if that but the reason they didn't was because they had to work with lightberg with jaws so much didn't work so they had to use shadow and lighting to the best they could i think you have to examine this kind of a question with that in mind they wanted to do a lot more they did what they could with what they had
2: I think Scott said the decision to not show the alien was very much always his his plan like even Yeah. Carlo Rambaldi asked uh Ridley Scott why don't you show the creature more and he was like no it's it's you know it's, Oh
1: yeah they didn't want to know whether it was in the which shadows it was it keeps the audience's mind fired exactly. up like a later drama.
2: Yeah, so I think I think less so than jaws this was the alien suit from what I know about the film I think it worked fine enough, you know. Obviously, there were challenges, but nothing like Jaws, nothing like the thing just constantly yeah. breaking down. Like it's and just I, I'm have- glad
1: something because we know some things they did shot and it, really doesn't look like that crab walk they tried to get it to do to go towards lambert yeah, when i that see that footage i think not great no they, they it was the good it was a good decision i know he's trying to do something different but the thing just looks like it's got you know worms and it's trying to rub its ass on the ground it, it doesn't look at all
2: practical when you're seeing it do that they didn't keep that in the director's cut did they the crab walk no no
1: i don't think so no
2: Aaron, there was something I wanted to ask you real quick. Recently, you saw Dark Star for the first time. Um, I've seen that movie a while ago, and I, I love that movie. In a lot of ways, I think it was the test run for, for Alien. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about that movie.
0: Okay, that's a bit random. Um, yeah. It's not
2: random. It's it's pretty related. I mean, again, I think there's so much that that movie has in common with Alien, and it was...
1: Yeah, it well, was, Dan O'Bannon said, this is Dark Star made as a horror. yeah.
0: I didn't really I didn't really feel that no no i I really enjoyed the film. I really did. I went into it expecting some cheap ass piece of crap that you know you see college students make for 50 quid. I realized you know that there was a whole load of things around it being the most impressive student film ever made and the least impressive theatrical film ever made. but it was just this image I had in my head was this terrible looking film. And I was genuinely surprised at how much I really enjoyed it. And it was the sense of humor was so up my street as well. But I I never felt it didn't really feel alien to me because I could feel the cobbled together nature of it. I mean, yeah, there's the, the bored with your jobs kind of mentalities of the of the main characters, which carries over in the films. But I don't know. Other than that, I didn't really I didn't really feel the alien connection.
2: I just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it is light, but I think the dynamic you have with the crew members and them going around the spaceship and their frustrations with each other and and dealing with this thing and I don't know, I I love that movie. I I think it's really fantastic.
0: I want to watch it again, actually.
2: Yeah, it's. It's one of those movies that takes a few watches, I think. That was kind of like how Blade Runner was for me. Like Blade Runner took me a couple watches before I was totally into it. But it's just another, you know, piece of the backstory for Alien. Just kind of like Dune you know, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune. And another documentary I really encourage people to watch is that documentary. It's just called Yodorovsky's Dune. And it talks to people like, uh, or it talks about people like uh, Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Kieger and Chris Foss and a lot of this, this dream team of really powerful creatives and collaborators that were coming together for this project. And honestly, if it wasn't for Jodorowsky's Dune, we, ne- we never would have got Alien because that established those relationships that later reunited for, for this project.
0: What's interesting about Alien is that so much of its foundation is on misery, really. The misery of the people that made the film. You know, it wasn't an easy journey to get there in the slightest, you know. Dune collapsed, you know, where Bannon went back homeless. Gone to this film with, with, you know, hopes of, you know, getting somewhere. And then even things like Giga, you know, in Giga's Alien, the book, it sort of alludes to it in, in the foreword about, his frustrations showing in, in the texts because it was made of bits of his diary. And that's, oh, God, if compared to his diary, H.R. Giga's Alien is tame because in his diary, he fucking hates everybody just about. Like, the only person that he seemed to like on that film was um, Peter Voisey, I think. O'Bannon. No, I thought about... he got on well with O'Bannon. Yeah, didn't but he winched a little bit about him about O'Bannon would show up to the um the studio and just watch, and that seemed to get on his nerves. Yeah. Well there's a point in his
1: Giga's Book of Alien, where he said that O'Bannon was trying to get it, I think, the derelict to look more technological. And he said he liked how Ridley Scott's mind worked because he said Ridley Scott would look at things and say, hmm, interesting. And he said
0: he knew that Ridley Scott was actually meaning that shit. And
1: he quite liked
0: that way of communicating. But the the only person in the studio that he seemed to like was, was I think Peter Voisey was his name who was helping him out and he just hated everybody else and he had all sorts of difficulties with Fox getting paid and stuff like that and it just sounded so miserable to him working on it.
1: Yeah, didn't didn't he say he, he had to explain to them that the amount... He, he had to explain to Fox that he wasn't prepared to work on this because he'd essentially get paid for what in Switzerland a high-grade secretary was getting paid, yes, and they yes, needed
0: to realise like that. Yeah, and, you know, he, there's even stories of Ridley punching in holes through the set in frustration.
1: Oh, yeah, because the um, executives get off his back.
0: Mm. So Alien is this perfect storm the right people talented people it's pressure filling it's gaps diamonds in, yeah, being it's, made out of sand and and just all this difficulty placed on them all and it's just this phenomenal film for it it's it's ridiculous
2: It always kind of feels like there's more we're discovering about the film as well. Like when we hear new stories from the people that were involved with it, you can tell like it sticks with them because it was just a a defining moment of their lives. Yeah, whenever I see like a new picture, new piece of artwork that I might not have seen before, it's it's awesome to see that. I know there is a exhibit at H.R. Giger Museum right now that runs until November. That's a celebration of the 40th anniversary of the film and Giger's work on it. And they just concluded a different exhibit based on more of the wider franchise at uh, USC in Los Angeles. And I think that just ended. And so if you missed that, we did put together um, a YouTube video. That's just kind of a tour through that. It was, I'd say, primarily focused on the first film, even though it it did cover the wider franchise. But again, that it just... It showed that there was so much there that went into the creation of Alien that we didn't see, and there probably still is undiscovered things about it in the archives or wherever.
0: That's why I'm really looking forward to J.R. Rinsler's uh, making of Alien. Because you know, I've, I've felt for ages, you know, that we've known the full story. Charles's um Charles de Lozarica's documentaries were phenomenal. That surely there's no more to learn than that. And then you just little tidbits keep cropping up and stuff like that. And like the the things you saw at that Exhibit, you know, the the casting list and even some of the photos.
1: Oh, that was an interesting casting mm. list, that was. There's just
0: so much more to learn to this. And, and CDL did say that that book was fantastic. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he and un- on on earth especially since he went into it not really knowing much by all account you know he wasn't massively versed on it and he went into it as a as a historian so i'll be curious to see what he what he dredged up
1: talking about pressure i recently learned not too long ago that it's something i would never heard about that i knew about Ridley Scott got Yafit Koto to make little digs at Sigourney Weaver. But what I didn't know until recently was that apparently every day, Ridley Scott, he, he didn't tell the actors this, but he ordered the set design people to put the walls in just like an inch and every day the the, the set would get a little bit closer 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 so he was making the entire thing feel cause and they didn't realize why but they were feeling more and more claustrophobic on set without even knowing why they're feeling like that but it was a once i found out about that i thought i don't know how much it was. that is a beautiful way to get people to feel like a tin can, like a submarine in space. And that that's something I only learned recently. Adam, what, have you found anything recent that you hadn't heard of about this film before? What was the last thing you went, oh, that's interesting?
2: I mean, honestly, just before we recorded, H.R. <laughs> Giger's museum posted a couple images that I, I had never seen before. And really, it's stuff like that. Like, yeah... We know the basics of the story behind the making of this film, but it's things that we'll probably see in that new book you mentioned here And it's, it's things that you see at a Polaroid at, at the thing. Like, I'd never seen that Polaroid with Giger and the Facehugger before.
0: No, me either. That was a new one.
2: It may just be little tidbits, like the casting sheet. I didn't know, like, different actors they had considered for the role of Dallas. It's just things like that, that kind of expand on your, on your knowledge of how massive this process was into this film was harrison ford on that i think he was i'm pretty sure he was yeah
0: i'm gonna have to bring it up actually just because there might be people listening who aren't aware
2: I didn't realize just until recently how resistant to Giger's designs Fox was. And that took real pressure on the part of Ridley Scott. Like, no, this is it right here. You don't get it. And they were just like, well, it's too too grotesque. I don't know. And like, I guess it kind of goes to when um, the film premiered. They had the big space jockey and they somebody like burned it down or something, just ran in there and I guess set it on because they were saying in the the Beast Within documentary, like he thought it was of the devil or something. And It just... (laughs) It goes to show how groundbreaking and revolutionary Giger's designs really were. And it's one of the things that I've, I've been missing about the franchise for so long as I think his designs. Again, with, uh, I'm not going to get into the prequels too much here, but one of the most disappointing things about Prometheus and Covenant for me were the lack of those biomechanical elements. Even in things we would expect them with, like the engineer ship, we- there was a deliberate move more to, towards the mechanical rather than the biomechanical. And I think that's a real shame. So so yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on the matter. I, th- I think Giger was, was one of really three people. I mean, there, there's more creatives that obviously were huge contributions to this film, like Ron Cobb, Chris Foss. But I think the real trinity you have is Ridley Scott, H.R. Geeger, and Dan O'Bannon. Those I think were the three people that were really core and instrumental in the making of this film.
0: Just, just going back to the um, the casting list because I found it before I forget some interesting stuff on here. So for Dallas, some of the names I don't I don't recognize. I assume they must be uh, much older stars than than I've got knowledge of. But for Dallas, uh, Cliff robertson scott wilson tommy lee jones who is uh their favorite for it in in these casting notes christopher lloyd sam elliott harrison ford martin sheen god could you imagine martin sheen as dallas
1: yeah the one i can't i can't quite imagine is christopher like he would have been different in 79 but still christ i i would have imagined him more like a Kane than a dallas
0: well, he was also recommend on the list for Ash and Brett.
1: Yeah, I can imagine him definitely doing Ash.
0: For Brett, they've got somebody called Dennis Waterman is probably the best.
1: Oh, you don't
0: know he—he was. That's the one that confused me because he's like
1: in the nineteen seven. He was a TV star in Britain. He did like TV shows like Minder. He was very Cockney. He was like a, he's a proper East Enders type accent. So he would have been weird.
0: Well, that might have worked for Brett as the uh, lower class.
1: Yeah, but it's it, when you're so used to only seeing him in like TV comedy drama stuff. He's uh, probably the most recent thing is that um old tricks i think it's called a detective series but he's he's sort of chemi semi-comical roles usually so that's when my mind goes oh although come to think of it no he was yeah this might have been what made them think of that in the 70s he did at least one hammer horror film like one of the dracula films yeah i don't remember how he was liking that but yeah i've got a feeling that might have been what made them think dennis Waterman. yeah
0: so there's, there's still so much buried away in those archives. What do you guys think about the story or the idea of Scott trying to show the aliens' brains with maggots moving about under the cowl? That's always something well, I always find fascinating.
2: A- A new thing I learned right there. (laughs) Maybe I've seen that before, but it's been out of my mind. Like, uh, yeah, I can't really remember that that was an idea. I, I know things like the alien was transparent at one time, like almost like a deep sea creature or something like that. Like they tried some clearer versions of the suit, but. I'd never heard about maggots crawling around under the dome. Oh yeah. I think that would have that would have pushed it more towards the grotesque, I think, where like I said that the alien is like monstrous but at the same time elegant. I think that would have been too like, you know, just blatantly horrifying.
0: But there's a, there's a funny story around that one as well, is that the studio lights actually put them to sleep. So to try and yes, get some yes. uh, activity from them, the, spring, um, the sprinkled LSD on them. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it did not work. And if I remember rightly, I think yeah. it was mentioned in I think it was mentioned in Giga's diary, you know, Balaji found out about the idea and was not keen on it.
1: No I've always wondered if that shot in Alien 3 where she goes down into, you know, what she calls the basement and she thinks she sees the alien and she hits it with the, you know, that metal pole or something and it's actually a pipe but you see all these insects sort of like slither out of it and i've always wondered if that might have been a reference to that i've got no idea if it was i think it would have been interesting because scott was very much about trying to find actual organic thing like he was getting actual shellfish and Butcher's stuff And I think It would have been One of those things Where Especially on a close up It would have been One of those things Where you go Wow Did they do that And then you You know Five years later You would have seen Behind the scenes Documentaries going about it It would have been Very interesting as a visual but i think the alien design works better when it's it's either semi transparent or opaque and it's just solidity to me that's you get slime but it's washing over solidity so i think it works better as it ultimately was yeah i think if you they'd have been able to achieve that effect it would have probably unsettled a lot of people just by psychological it, it's weird on one of the documentaries i was re-watching in readiness for this Giga was to, like in his you know his advanced years but he's he was talking about oh you know snakes and worms and things going up in, on your skin and he goes oh oh i hate those things and he's like hr geek <laughs> so yeah i remember I, I that that's pretty funny. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he actually had like a quite mundane life at home, sort of right now around the garden. But I, I think it would have been interesting. But I think what we got without those, it's like the crab walk is trying to go up to but They tried a lot of very interesting ideas. But I think what we ultimately got with it w- was for the better.
0: So, speaking of something that we got, something that's up on the screen, and it's something I've noticed for a goddamn long time, and nobody ever talks about it, and I can't remember ever hearing any of the the behind-the-scenes people talk about it either, but it's something that's just always there for me it's always there and it's the scene when the camera's sort of sneaking up on ash after kane's been brought back and they're checking out what's happening and it turns out to be ripley and she's there to sort of what the fuck are you doing letting people on board you sneaky bastard and you see some footage on the screens behind him and on one of them it looks like a friggin chicken embryo
1: yeah i think it was a chicken embryo that they used it's something like that it has like eyes, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. It looks like a, you know, in retrospect, it looks like a, an embryonic chest burster. But I think they did use something like a chicken embryo for that, yeah.
0: So I guess, I guess you guys don't find that as interesting as me. But yeah, I always wanted to know. Oh,
1: no, I, I do,
0: yeah. It's one of
1: those things where you watch it and it's but it's only it's for viewers. It's only in hindsight because they know what's in Kane. And then they go back to watch it. And then it's probably they'll go, Oh, what's that? And it it is fascinating. It's like when they do the face dissection. It's fascinating to watch. But yeah, it's meant to have that, you know, the in hindsight. And once you re-watch it, it's Alien is one of those things where you rewatch it and you find out new things. Like, for example, um, if we did have the cocoon sequence, it was meant to be deliberate foreshadowing that when you watch it the second time, people would go, oh... That's what the crew were. The crew of the derelict were the eggs. That's what we saw. That's what that was meant to be. And, of course, they re-edited Lambert's death, and it's actually the tail going up between Brett's legs. And originally, the intention was that it would have put the tail up between Brett's legs and penetrated him through the chest from behind. And the intention was that if you saw the film a second time, you'd have thought not that the Pilot, the space jockey had a chest burster. It was meant to be that you would think, "Oh, it impaled through the back," but of course, you know, these days the obvious intention is, "Oh, it's clearly a chest burster."
0: I don't think I've ever heard that.
1: Yeah, it was it, many years ago on the Alien news group that was that went around it. Well, I forget who talked about it, but apparently that was the intent of that scene you know but without them the way it is edited the way it is like you have a completely different interpretation but that thing with the embryo i agree with you it is very eye-catching but it's yes yeah, one of those things where there's not much to talk about it but it is one of those things where in hindsight you sort of want the camera to zoom in a little more or ripley to have gone what's that because it's it's a creature or <laughs> yeah so i agree with you it is an interesting little bit of monitor footage
2: even though like i i had mentioned before the gears designs in the the space jockey were such an interesting part for me i do really like some of those earlier temple pyramid concepts and it, it was kind of cool that we did get to experience some of that i think in the first avp pc game by rebellion those were inspired by. Those some some of those early designs where you, it's just this very like almost Egyptian looking stone temples that you have like monuments to the facehugger and and the alien. And there are these impressive large rooms built of like ancient stone, which I think still asks some of the same questions we had about the space jockey. Like, oh, well, maybe this wasn't the space jockey. Maybe this was a different race that found the alien and worshipped the alien or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, there was actually some fan art a couple of years back, Aaron, you, you'll you know what I'm talking about, of, of the guys descending into this big stone chamber with the three alien statues, right? You, you know that piece yes, of fan yeah, art? No, I, yeah? I
0: think I remember it.
2: So so that kind of ancient temple look also, I think, is, is very interesting. And I, I would like to see that make an appearance in one way or another. For me, it was just like, again, to mention Prometheus, like with those biomechanical designs, it felt like they were halfway there. Like they were obviously inspired by Giger's designs, but they didn't push it like Giger did. They were just more flat.
0: It's it's interesting that you mentioned like the temple level because that's always been some of my favourite things of any of the expanded universe. I, rem- I remember loving those AVP missions and looking at the hieroglyphs and looking at the, the statues. And that's some of the things that I've always found appealing about the expanded universe as well. You know, there's um, Elder Gods, I think is is the short, where it's a little black and white one, yeah. where it's, it's kind of, you know, all about that kind of thing. That's something I really gravitate towards with the Alien series, is those kind of stories.
1: One of my favourite pieces of concept art from Alien, it's something that was never used in the film but one of my absolute favourite pieces of concept series, in fact from the entire series it's a piece of art by Ron Cobb and it's got one of the Nostromo or as it was called then the Snark the crew and they have this Flashlight, and he's washing it over, and it's it's like two stone plinths, and they're sort of separated by miniature stone eggs, and you have this amazing Aztec-like freeze or engraved sort of a painting on the wall of what's clearly an alien creature with a chest burster coming out, but it looks like a half flowering type thing but that is one of my most favourite pieces of concept art of the entire series and I'd love someone to use it in another film but that visual and you do look a lot of the stuff that was they just It was a a steam house of creativity long before they actually were able to, you know, do principal photography. But a lot of this stuff I just pour to this day, I pour over it. I think this is just a a treasure trove of like it's nastiness, but it's it's it deserves greater recognition.
0: It's undeniable. Just looking through, you know, some of the concept arts for those things. The book of Aliens fantastic, and I can't think there'd be many films back then that had that sort of in depth coverage. I don't think that was really a thing back then, was it?
1: I think Star Wars. Did. Yeah, they I was going to say Star Wars. Was, maybe Star, maybe Trek well. some of, yeah, some of that because they they were big studio things that they knew but but of course star wars was the reason alien got made because they were looking for a big science fiction hit with spaceships and that and they you know they realized they had this script laying around if it wasn't for star wars alien wouldn't have got made or at least the success of star wars
0: something else i wanted to ask you about is Alien and to some extent Star Wars get credited a lot for um, you know the the dirty space look the 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 used and worn spaceship and I know that's given lived a lot, in mm, I know that's given a lot of of love for that but honestly the tech has never really been the spaceships has never really been something I've found massively appealing about the Alien films. I love them in I love them in Star Trek and Star okay, but not aliens. It's never really appealed to me in that.
2: Oh, for for me, yeah, it's it's totally appealed to me. I, I know some of the technology is like low-tech and, and clunky, but for me, I'm less looking at that, and I'm more looking at the designs of the ships themselves. They all have these striking looks throughout the whole series, really, of the ships we've seen. And just the dark corridors are so different than we've seen in, in Star Trek, where everything's clean, spotless, brightly lit. Star Wars kind of got a little more grungy technology. Technology, But it was still just a very fantastical universe, whereas Alien was more grounded, more like what we could imagine ships in the future might be for like blue collar workers. Now in Prometheus and Covenant, we did see ships that are a little more clean looking and, and with modern technology. And one of the things that I always found kind of cool was, uh, if you remember the old alien DVD, the menu was like, you would fly through the halls of the Nostromo and there would be this big holographic cylinder. And I was like, oh, cool. Like just seeing that advanced technology in this old dark spaceship was, was kind of an interesting look. And yeah, you, you go back and the computer like blurps to life and you're just like, oh man, like, so there is some of that. I do appreciate the retro tech. Like I, I appreciate it in isolation, but I still think at some point, like Really, Scott has kind of done with the new films it was a vision of the future for the time and with filmmaking now and the technology we have now we will have different visions of the future and the question is well do you go with the vision that we have now or the vision that we had then and and sometimes with films like Blade Runner 2049 like they're specifically going for a past vision of of the future and Alien has kind of especially with the prequels it's kind of gone one way and the other we saw more advanced technology on on the user Interfaces and stuff through Aliens and even Alien 3 with like the bioscan. So I, I think Alien is always just the technology of the future has been reflected of, of the technology at our time.
1: I think Aliens, the sequel was the designs and that were more functional because, you know, Cameron, he came from that kind of design background. I think in Alien, certainly in hindsight, Alien. There are some of it which is a little too engineered, like the sequence where Brett, you know, before he meets his death, there's that big door, and there's just like weird cogs and machinery in the actual door that makes no sense, and there's a a weird sort of June buggy and a hybrid helicopter thing that looks like it's from the 1950s stuff like that doesn't quite make sense but the rest of it as you say it's of the times but one of the reasons i remember being little and liking star wars was my father he was a tool maker and before that he was an engineer in the royal air force and i remember liking the fact that on the millennium falcon and the y-wings that you actually saw like engine grease and these pneumatic and hydraulic things. I like that because it reminded my my father. You know, his stuff in his workshop. And on Alien, before that, you know, this lived in. You had duct tapes on seats. And that that helped things to feel relatable for the audience because you have to remember at that time 1979 before that it was like you know Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers where uh, Doctor Who where either it was everything was clean or it was like sets made out of cardboard and everybody like what do you look like when you're in the future oh you wear tin foil and you're at a disco and they you go do 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 you watch the old Battlestar Galactic, it's stuff like that when you see one of the striking radical things about alien it looked like how people would dress they weren't in silver jumpsuits they were in clothing you could conceivably see people in the future wearing it but it was relatable the ship looked like not a dump but it looked like an oil rig it's a kind of place you could imagine people like this with this frame of mind working and you had you saw parker and brett they're bitching about their jobs we don't get paid as much as that they were very much of the day and now still but very much of the day you didn't get stuff like that in a science fiction film stuff like this would have really helped to sell and of course the other thing is when they changed you know the hero to a a woman I think that, I've mentioned this before, that was another thing which, maybe not relatable, but at the time that was another groundbreaking thing you didn't get because once Dallas had died, at the time you never got a black person winning the especially in a science fiction film, and you definitely didn't get a woman facing off against a monster and winning that. At that point, all bets were off as soon as Dallas And especially Parker died, you were down to basically, you know, Lambert died. A woman, again, a groundbreaking thing for its time. It absolutely subverted all that. At that point, the audience were like, we've never seen Sigourney Weaver in anything. She was an unknown. Going back to the technology, it's the same principle. When you rewatch, especially in the the sort of high definition, even before the remastering, you get all this engine grease, water dripping down onto Brett's face with these random chains. It looks industrial and you just had not got that. You know, it's tangible. You can almost smell the oil in the air. That is very much part of what made aliens so successful. They very much followed on with it with that with into Hadley's Hope. You had that same kind of lived in that you half eaten donuts and things like that. But at the time, this you just didn't get stuff like this in science fiction. You didn't even really get it in a lot of horror. And this, all these kind of, you know, the the ladders, the, 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 the self-destruct stuff, it wasn't a C-3PO type computer voice. It was everything felt lived in. And you thought, if this isn't where we do get in the future, it feels about as real as we're now going to get in the 1970s. And people now, they don't appreciate just... How much that set design, the equipment, the motion trackers, it, it, it looked clunky, but the characters were act, reacting as though this is clunky equipment. Even the guns, you never saw them being shot but you know it was a world away from what audiences were used to seeing probably someone would have said oh there's this science fiction thing playing oh yeah let's go and see it good for a laugh you see ming, ming the merciless shoot someone what this would have been completely on a league of its own nothing like these visuals had ever been seen before and if people now we talk about the space jockey scene and all the rest of it just the stuff on the nostromo just waking up going down those metal grated floor corridors and the way the light shines through people would have been just as blown away by that these days everyone's following in those footsteps but back then that you would have felt. That's the kind of place engineers would live in. This the kind of place people would bitch about their jobs. And it totally contribute. That contributes psychologically. By the time you see people arguing about one another, you know Parker saying, "Oh, the coffee's the only thing good about." You feel you're prepared for them to act like that. The only thing they aren't doing is you're not seeing them go to the lavatory. Aside from that, mm-hmm. the, the set design feels so much like this is where I could live in the future. It's not going to be a glass bubble on the moon. It's, it's going to be something like this. People will complain. Gets the job done.
2: And that's honestly one of the reasons why I love Alien Isolation so much is it took that that vision of the future and that, that world that was created in that film and that aesthetic. And it expanded it into this entire space station, which was essentially a city of people rather than a small crew. So yeah, to be able to experience that through that game again, I cannot recommend that, that game highly enough, especially for people who, who are fans of of the original film. And if you're not a gamer, Hey, there's a uh, novelization of the game coming out before too long. So,
0: you know, when I say it's not something that massively appeals to me, It was more in terms of like the general look of of the ships and stuff like that. When it comes down to the the lo-fi sci-fi, as uh, Creative Assembly termed it, for isolation, I do love that kind of retro future look to the thing, because I do think it is a little bit of a refreshing take compared to what everybody does now with the flat screens and everything and all the holographic recordings. I kind of miss the fact that we're at the point where a lot of this has been emulated. You know, Alien and Aliens were cinematic milestones that have been emulated a thousand times over by now and it's not it's not new to us and while we can still appreciate it for being fantastic like it's done like that i kind of missed that i got to miss out on that fresh feeling you know
2: yeah because the yeah you mean by the first time we saw the films that the tech did feel dated
0: well, and, and other films had used that kind of aesthetic as well, and and when you see it, when you see it with new audiences now, you know you were talking about going to see the DC, you know, when you were a teen, and I've been to a couple of showings of, of Alien for various bits and bobs uh, over the last few years or whatever, and you can always sort of tell when you're seeing it with an audience that perhaps hasn't seen it before because the stuff that is a bit bad, you know, filmmaking, it get it gets laughed at. That cut with uh, Ash's head, you know, of, of them trying to hold the door. Oh to, uh, god! Yeah, you know, that gets.
1: Why didn't it get changed for the direct part? Oh, <laughs>
0: mm, I, I wish they'd sort that, and you know, that smile at the end as well.
1: I think the smile. Kind of works, but it's just it just needs one cutaway
2: shot. I think Ridley really even That's really even mentions that as a shot he wasn't quite pleased with, but they just had to move on at in the Beast Within documentary of of the Ash smiling because i i guess they had tried some some other things with that and the look of the dummy head wasn't quite right for um, in holmes head it shrunk apparently yeah so they I, again it's just kind of a thing with older films i think is sometimes certain things are hit and miss just based on what they had to work with at the time and i honestly think that's part of the film's charm personally but you're right like i i showed alien to someone who had never seen it before and, and struggle at the ash head head part. But I always I always love doing that. I always love showing Alien to someone who's never seen it whenever I can seize on that opportunity, I do.
0: So, one of the things that's sort of been skirted around or uh, well, Eric talked about, but we haven't really gone into is 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 the characters. You know, when people discuss the characters, you you always say about how they're relatable and as as a working, you know, as as blue collar people. And you know what, as I've got older, I've so understood that more and more you know I completely get Bretton Parker bitching about incompetent management and I completely understand Dallas in a position of authority who just does not give a shit about some of the decisions that are just, just above him, above his pay grade you know the whole thing with Ash and um, policies to do whatever they say they tell you to do, I get that so much more now than I ever have and it it really, really does make them so massively relatable. It's ridiculous. These characters are so real in terms of these ones. And this is without even knowing any of the background, knowing where they fucking grew up or who the best mates was, what the last shit was. I mean, there's so much free reign in there, you know, even in terms of the whole Ash uh, being a sudden... Um, a transfer on the thing you know even without all that story you can completely get these people and it's fantastic i really do love these guys
1: it doesn't just make them relatable but it makes them timeless because as you say same situation
2: but even if not you then you know people who are like that There was a lot of backstory uh, created for these characters that we we didn't actually see on screen. It's something else they mentioned in the documentary that like Brad, like all the characters, they had these developed stories and that Scott helped put together. And it shows just how committed he is to creating the worlds that that he does, that even even things about their background that we would never learn in the film, just to kind of help the actors develop their performance like, oh, here's your character's history. So I think there's there's somewhere you can read those histories. Is is there not, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I think it was a Easter egg on one of the releases uh, because they're actually shown in the alien in aliens in the background on the um you know the debrief scene. Yeah. So they're on an Easter egg somewhere. You can Google it. It's online somewhere if I remember or if I noticed during the edit, I'll try and hunt it down and pop a link in the in the podcast post.
2: But yeah, it's it's interesting how the script was written and specified that the characters were interchangeable, like any character could be a man or, or woman. And especially at the time, I think it was a really awesome decision to make the, the final surviving character, the lead, uh, a woman, because it, it wasn't something that was really done before in horror films. I mean, it's done all the time now. But it was just another thing that Alien spearheaded, I think. And the relationships between the characters, not only just their struggles with the corporate system, but the fact that they're on this spaceship moving through deep space in this really long journey to get home. There's an interesting dynamic there and I think at one point there was supposed to be kind of a relationship with Ripley and and Dallas, I think that was planned. There was a intimate yeah. scene that was cut between them. And even in uh, the making of materials like Ridley Scott was saying, "Oh, I was thinking like uh Ripley and Lambert might have also had a relationship as well because just you know you get lonely in space <laughs> and with some of the um the amusing i think graphic posters that you see in alien isolation it kind of plays to some of of those same themes
0: you know again that's kind of some of the things that feels a little old hat now i guess the the ripley twist i don't know i just feel like there's, there's so much i don't want to disparage the film because it is like eric says it's timeless but it, it loses a little bit of that wallop that made it so special for the time. Well, only because it's been emulated so much.
1: That's the only reason.
0: But yeah, just, just as a complete ride, I think regardless of that kind of thing, I can always appreciate it and always enjoy it, even if you know that cultural impact might not be there anymore.
2: I mean, it's still a popular franchise. <laughs> There's oh, a reason yeah. they've kept making yeah. the movies for this long. I mean, that's got to mean something. Do you agree with me? Do you think, like, do you want to see more in the aesthetic of, of the original film? Or would you prefer it to, like, newer films to kind of have their own identity or be more in line with Aliens again? Like, It's an interesting question to think about where to take it
0: from aesthetically. Because all the films have their own visual sense, but they all still kind of feel you know rooted in the same thing you know as as much as they've all got different color palettes or slightly different tech you know Hadley's Hope feels like it inhabits the same universe as Alien and Alien 3 you didn't really see that much but you know it's still run down and beat down I just think that's a part of a part of the Alien feel Prometheus did Squander a little bit, but I think Covenant returned back to it a little bit more. Yeah, I was excited to see those buttons. I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, it is the alien feel. You know, this is the, if they do do more, it needs to retain a kind of retro look to feel authentic because like you said about isolation earlier that's a huge part of what made that game so fantastic and so immersive because it did feel like an extension of alien
2: i think another thing that that helped was that alien isolation was this entirely new story in this new setting that was still very much rooted in alien prometheus and covenant while there are things about them i really like if you look at the the beats of the stories right very similar to alien you have this a crew on a ship they touch down on a planet they find a, a derelict spacecraft they eventually go back to space and then they have to deal with the aliens i guess less so prometheus because she doesn't go back to space until the end but it's the same beats they they land on a planet they find this ancient thing and i think that story might be worn yeah yeah I think that you can have the the alien story without reverting back to the the experience that we had in that first film because there's there's just other stories to tell in this universe and again that's why I think the alien 40th anniversary shorts were so effective is they showed that they showed that there are new stories and new characters to explore in this same universe.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree there, you know, I isolation is world building, you know, world expanding while still feeling like it occupies that world. It's very much like Aliens in that fashion, even though it's a bit more tied directly in the aesthetic of the first film. Also completely agree about Prometheus and Aliens' overarching story being very repetitive of, of Aliens' overall of aliens overall structure. So, yeah, I don't disagree there. Uh, Ridley does need to think of a new story structure for for the next sequence.
2: Well, if we get it. It would probably be a colony, which I kind of wonder how the dynamic with that would be like comparing to aliens with a planetary colony. Because we haven't really seen Ridley do that outside of the, the few glimpses we've seen of Mars in Prometheus, which I would have liked if they would have kept that scene in there because it sounded like a really cool scene. But money, I guess that would have been an expensive little scene to shoot.
0: Well, you kind of see it in the background of the holographic the briefing. Recording. Yeah. Yeah, well, it depends if he follows through with any of that kind of stuff because he's very backpedally at the minute or or at least Fox in, in the dictation of what they do.
2: We'll see. I mean, the the franchise is in a really interesting spot right now with the acquisition by Disney. I've honestly been surprised by how active the social media accounts are. We're still getting a lot of great things in the expanded universe and the books and the comics. So as long as that keeps coming, I'll be I'll be happy until they can figure out what direction they want to go for with with the movies. Mm -hmm. But hopefully that won't take too long.
0: Yeah. Well, even if it even if it isn't movies, you know, I don't mind seeing it go elsewhere on other platforms.
2: TV oh, you mean shows. like a show or streaming? Yeah, that would be I... an interesting new frontier for the Alien Universe, I think. Again, I keep bringing up the 40th anniversary shorts. Like, if you had something like that, like an anthology series where each episode was kind of like a mini story in the universe, but a bit longer and more fleshed out than we saw in the 40th anniversary shorts, that could be interesting. Or
0: even season-long arcs, perhaps. You know, 10 episodes yeah. kind of thing. That'd be interesting. But yeah, I, I, those those 40th anniversary shorts were, you know, another good example of how you can still do the alien feel and still do something different or interesting with it, even if some of perhaps some of them did repeat a few beats. But yeah, in general, in general, I completely agree there. Right, well, I can't actually think of anything more to really talk about specifically about Alien without risking doing a behind-the-scenes documentary on it. Is is there anything you want to, any specific elements that you want to bring up?
2: Again, I I don't feel like we've given enough credit to the the human characters in this discussion. I think the fact that you had actors that were not super well-known, that was a great choice. The dynamic between them being blue collars and complaining about the company was awesome and, and relatable, like Eric was talking about. But especially Ripley, just to kind of cap it off, I think Sigourney Weaver's performance was so good in that movie. And the fact that Ellen Ripley has become part of her identity as, as an actress. It's the role she's most well-known for. It's the role that that made her famous. So something about just being a survivor in this intense situation and getting through it and overcoming it. I think that was another theme of the film that just really resonated with people and continued on through the sequels. Do you, do you agree? Like, was Ripley an impactful character for you, even, you know, for the first film? Or did you not really get that sense with her until the second?
0: I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Because I do think the seconds where she feels more like a character, you know, more like a person. Because while I do find everybody relatable in the first one and they all have distinctive personalities you know you don't really get to get a feel for them in the same way that you do Ripley as she later develops
2: it's almost like I guess you could compare it to Sarah Connor in Terminator 1 and 2 like there's such a big development in the second film for that character and I think it's the same with Alien and Aliens is that you see that with Ripley near the end of Alien when she has to survive and also she's kind of the voice of reason in in the ship like hey we can't let these we can't let you back in the ship because of quarantine like, she's very by the book, very follow the rules, but at the same time, she, you know, she's just as scared as everyone else. She's just dealing with it better, I think.
0: Yeah, she's definitely the most sensible, I guess, or the, or the most, I don't want to say boring in terms of that, because. You know, she she is playing it by the book. She is doing what they're supposed to do. And if everybody just listened to Ripley and, you know, Weyland-Jutani <laughs> hadn't planted Ash on there, then, you know, that alien might have been running around on the surface of uh, LV-426 somewhere and they could have jacked off and been fine.
2: Yeah, but that's the question. Is she doing, you know, by the book? If like Della says, you just do what the hell they tell you to do. So there is there is that conflict there of like, do we do what's sensible? Do we do what's right? Or do we do what we're expected to do by our superiors? Anyway, you're right. We're we're just branching off. now. (laughs) We've talked this to death. If you haven't seen Alien, why are you listening to this (laughs) for one? But it's always worth another watch, I think.
0: Yeah, I w- I will never get bored of watching the film. You know, I will always enjoy it. It will always be one of the best. You know, there's no denying that Alien and Aliens are, are technical masterpieces of of these of this series and of cinema in general. We've said it before; it'll get said again. You know, so much aped off these films and off the aesthetics and themes and ways of doing characters, ways of doing set, ways of doing world building. And you know they are—they are milestones. There's, there's no two ways about that. There's, they are, fucking phenomenal films. I would always still want that ash uh, head transition cut because that is awful. But other than that, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no denying that. And I'll always enjoy reading the information behind them and and reading what made them work so well and the difficulties that went into it or watching or listening. I, I, I will never get sick of of the first three films or the first film specifically I'll, I'll never get sick of learning about these things okay are we, are we done are we done talking alien
2: we are done i think we're done okay
0: just before we sign off then there's just two quick uh, little messages i wanted to read from some people who've just written in not strictly alien related in terms of the 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 first film but carl roberts who has written in a few times in the past wrote in to us to just let us know that he'd listened to uh the just to dust podcast and really enjoyed it he really enjoyed the different uh, viewpoints about the comic i found it uh interesting and he personally enjoyed the comic Uh, he also just had a couple of questions for us now if you haven't noticed you know uh, left he had to disappear because like i alluded to in the past this this episode has been a nightmare to do and we've done this later than we normally would have done and uh, he's had to disappear so it'll only be me and emridge top answering these questions so carl asks out of all the comics from the alien predator and avp universes which one would you like to see be transferred into a full cinematic movie
2: oh that's a good question <laughs>
0: That I would always think labyrinth just because I'd love to see how twisted the um, the flashback sequence would be, but I honestly don't know how well it would translate into a film in the overall scheme of things. So I don't know I'd be interested to see something on a hive world, you know something like female war if done you know well, or genocide or uh, harvest, if only just to see you know the four giggaris landscapes see those egg silos they did those boob shaped things i think that'd be cool
2: or you know the original avp i
0: still want to see that
2: so i would also like to see the original avp comic but again like i mentioned in Previous episodes. I think that would work great as just like an anime film. As far as like a live action movie, I do think the Earth War trilogy would be cool to see. Again, that kind of brings me back to wanting to see that alternate vision for Alien 3 that Blomkamp had in mind. Like a lot of those same things are there, I think, with the Earth War trilogy because you have Newton and Ripley and Hicks and they're a core part of that story. And of those three, I, I will always love Nightmare Asylum the most. But again, a lot of that is just due to the, the fantastic artwork of that comic. Mm -hmm. A live action film would mean like the styles for all three of those would be totally different if if they ever did them. But I think even more recent comics like Dead Orbit would be really awesome to see. There's just so much you could choose from. I think, like you had said, I don't know if every comic would really translate well. Like, some of them do get pretty wild. But a lot of the most recent comics, like Dust to Dust and Dead Orbit, even Fast Track to Heaven, I don't know, Fast Track to Heaven might work better as a short film because that was kind of a short comic.
0: Yeah, it was a novella.
2: But yeah, there's just so much you could choose from. Honestly, Nightmare Asylum, I just, I love the story in that one, so...
0: Okay. I feel like that was actually a bit of a tough question.
2: I'm surprised you didn't say um Destroying Angels.
0: <laughs> destroying Angels. How could Rid- Ridley that?
2: Scott would never let that happen.
0: <laughs> no. Prometheus has fucked all over that and felt like it aped bits of it as well. Um yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. Wow. Um so second question then that Carl has is now that Disney holds the rights to both Alien and Predator, do you believe that we will next well, that when we next get an Alien or Predator film, we see We will see a more Star Wars Force Awakens vibe, i.e. the return of an old character passing on the torch to new characters who will then carry on the franchise. I wouldn't think that'd necessarily be exclusive to Disney owning it because it sounds like that might have been what would have happened with Blumkamp's thing, passing the torch on to Newt to carry on. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either.
2: It all depends on, on how it's done. I don't necessarily think they have to go in that direction. I still think Blomkamp's film should be made or at least shown to the public in, in some way, be it a graphic novel or a CG animated film along the lines of what we saw in, in the Netflix series Love, Death and Robots, which is awesome. Check it out if you haven't. So maybe that wouldn't be like a core feature film, but I still there's something about that story. Like, I want to know what the details of that But at the same time, you have to look at the prequels and you have to realize that leaving Covenant on the cliffhanger that it had when Ridley has been talking about eventually going into the back end of Alien, that is a bad look for the franchise. And it's kind of this nagging thing that it's like, well, that's a story arc that's just left hanging there. And regardless of how I would feel about a third prequel... I do think that there are a lot of people in our fandom who do love those films. And I think it's kind of owed to them to have some sort of conclusion to that story with the years that have, that we've gone through with those movies. So I guess in some way, I don't know, I'm really torn about that because I'm like, I don't know if I want another prequel, but at the same time, I'm like, that story arc is there and it it feels like it needs to be finished. What do you think? Would you like to see a third prequel film?
0: I'm not sure, you know, because I'm so scared of the direction it feels like is going to take the series. You know, I don't want it being driven into the back of alien i don't want the eggs in the derelict to end up being the colonists from the covenant i don't want david to be in the engineer chair <laughs> I'm, just, I'm too scared of that kind of possibility
2: well they do mention that the queen alien david does in the the special features but who knows if uh... really had any involvement with that but yeah i think you're right i think it's just like these films can kind of still be compartmentalized from the the other alien films i mean it was easier to do that with prometheus less easy to do it with covenant and perhaps it would be even less easy to separate a third prequel if it went right into alien
0: personally i'd rather they just do a soft reboot just crack on in another corner of the universe just away from all this prequel stuff
2: but Oh, well. I agree, but it still feels like without a conclusion to that, it's just something that'll always kind of be there like, man, how is that going to go?
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess. But I'd rather have that question than have an answer and not be thrilled with it again.
2: Yeah, agreed. But again, I just feel bad for people who really like those movies because a lot of our fellow That's fans... Those like
0: movies. That's no problem.
2: Yeah, but they, they were are excited to see where those characters will will end up, I think. So... Anyway, we'll see where Disney takes it. I I do think they're gonna take it somewhere. Somewhere. Uh they they released a big lineup of films and I know a lot of people were like, Oh, there's not an alien film on there. And I was like, Well I don't think that's every single film they're going to be making, especially not under the Fox banner. I think they're still figuring things out with that. And maybe we will get a TV show or something streaming before we get a film. Maybe Disney is they want to test the waters with Alien before committing to another another film. And perhaps the initiative with the social media and the expanded universe is is a big part of that.
0: Yeah, it seems reasonable because the films have seen a bit of a diminishing return of of late so I can't blame the business decision there at all. I just hope that the franchise proves itself enough to warrant them actually going back to the big screen with it or continuing on a smaller screen. As long as it's it's continued in some sort of um motion format, I will be happy. You know, I'm enjoying the the books and novels enough anyway lately to to be happy with that. So, I'm just happy, I guess, with where we are.
2: Yeah, it's it's still honestly one of the best times to be an Alien fan, I think.
0: Second Golden Age, mate. Second Golden Age.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: And our last message is... Uh, it's not really a question. It's its more just a, a fun poke, and I just want to answer him back because it's... Um, Joseph has been chatting to me on and off for a while. Keeps poking me about when we're going to do an Eric Red script episode. Uh, after we did the uh, William Gibson one. And my answer is eventually. We're going to get to it eventually, I promise. Uh, I would like to go through all those um, Alien 3 scripts at some point and enjoy them or rip them the fuck apart like I'm sure we would (laughs) do with an Eric Red
2: script. We still got to do a first draft of AVPR. That would be that would be fun.
0: Look, I've said we'll do the commentary. <laughs> Is that not enough?
2: It's not enough. <laughs> maybe we could we, maybe we could combine it into one podcast. We can do like a podcast looking back on AVPR as well as the early script. So then we won't have to talk about AVPR too long.
0: <laughs> Look, if if we space them out enough, it's not so bad. Because I think the last one we did was, was it two years ago?
2: On AVPR?
0: Yeah, was it last Christmas?
2: I think we just did one on AVP. I don't think we were really no, brought so, up. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was two Christmases ago. So yeah, you know, it's getting about time that I think I can stomach researching and talking about AVPR again.
2: <laughs> but we didn't do AVPR. We did just the first AVP, didn't you we?
0: No, I mean, I mean, we did the interview, didn't we, with Liam?
2: Oh, that's right. But that was fucking great. What are you talking about? That, that was, that, good,
0: that was you know? really fun, but the pain that I went through watching those <laughs> films and researching the film again. Oh, I see. There's only so much I can I can subject myself to. But yeah, you've 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 got the commentary coming up. It's going to be fine. That'll do you for a little while.
2: We still got to do that. We still got to do a commentary. We will.
0: We will, I promise i think that's everything then uh i do apologize but i personally don't feel like i've done a very good job on this episode because I've, i was unsure of what to really do because i was very conscious of i didn't want to just retell all the behind the scenes stories but i don't know you guys will have to let me know what you, you feel about this one any last words Top?
2: yeah i think you're right i i kind of struggled with it too because the people that were involved with this and the people that research it well enough to to write a book about it are always gonna be able to talk about it better than we can and, and we're gonna be wanting to hear what they have to say. But as fans, it's still awesome just and as friends too to discuss how we feel about these movies and the reason why they resonated with us so much.
0: Well, if you're listening and we haven't turned you away and you want to listen to um, more of our stuff, you can head back to the the hub of the site, uh, avpgalaxy.net, and check out all the podcasts, check out all the content. Interviews. So we've done a fair few of those uh, lately. Some recently with uh, Carrie Henn, which was on I Really, Really Enjoyed Recording. We spoke to Bill Paxton's son recently, James, about his work on the an- anniversary shorts and about his dad's legacy as well. And that was another really good interview. Really nice fella, he was. So there's all sorts back on there. There's um, a message board as well. We're also on the socials, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as AVP Galaxy or Alien Verse Predator Galaxy. And we're also on YouTube. That's slowly increasing and activity slowly increasing on that one. We've just hit the 3k mark on that, so tiny compared to everybody else but i think i think we're happy with it aren't we
2: yeah and we do have more plans for that like i really want to use that to kind of dive into the lore and and show people some of the expanded universe
0: yeah so I've been I've been trying to up the output at least on my end for that. And you, uh, Rich Top, did a really good piece on the alien exhibit that was been mentioned. So go check that out. That's that's really good. If you're listening to this on any sort of podcast platforms, you know, please be sure to do leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. That's always appreciated and helps other people, you know, have visibility to other people. I think that's everything. Thank you everybody for listening. This has been Corporal Hicks. And
1: Ridgetop. Xenomorphine.
0: Signing off.